0: Big thank you to our sponsor, Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. You can find Adreno in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. They are one of the biggest and best spearfishing stores in the world and stock a full range of spearfishing gear, more than you could ever imagine. So check them out in store or if you prefer to shop online, check them out at spearfishing.com.au and do yourself a favour. At checkout, use the code NOOBSPEARO to save yourself $20 on all purchases over $200. So that is spearfishing.com.au and use the code noobspearo at checkout.
1: Today's Noobspearo podcast is also proudly brought to you in partnership with penetratorfins.com. Get on there, guys. Have a look at some of the designs I've got. They've got clear's, the black's are beautiful. Check out the Noob Spiro custom Oki print. It's mad as well. Larry's got a full range of wicked designs and he's got a beautiful finish on his fins. He's uh, recently updated his manufacturing process, it's even better than it was before. He makes some of the best fins in the world. Uh, he offers a full international warranty along with $25 flat rate shipping worldwide. And uh, to, to make that offer even sweeter, pump in the code Noob Spiro at checkout and save another 20 bucks penetratorfins.com. Support the Noob Spiro Podcast by shopping with our sponsor. G'day and welcome to the
0: Noob Spiro Podcast. Today we're speaking with none other than Sebastian Kramer. Now Sebastian Kramer was is from Hamburg in Germany where they do not allow spear fishing. So what did he do? He packed up and he moved all the way across the world to sunny New Zealand. So Sebastian is now a Kiwi resident and Shrek gets very bromantic with this man and it's just a little bit weird, but that's how he is with fellow Kiwis. But never mind that, the interview is absolutely fantastic. We talked to Sebastian all about spearfishing in remote locations and he says a bloody great story about spearing the same sailfish twice in 10 days. So stay tuned for that. Now, guys, I've got some very exciting news for you. The 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing eBook is going into print. That's right, it's going to be a physical copy of the book. And if you'd like to help us out and be a part of this book, you can do so. All you have to do is email me some pics that we can put in the book, get a full photo credit, go on our thank you page, and you'll also receive a free copy of the book once it goes to print. So if you'd like to find out more on how you can do that, just go to our Facebook page. Uh, there's a blog post up there with all the details um, to help get you involved. In other news, one of our fellow divers, a guy by the name of Glenn Dixon up in North Queensland, uh, has been the victim of a shark attack and is in hospital recovering. Uh, but you can help Glenn and his family out by going to the GoFundMe website, a crowd, crowdfunding website. And you can donate some money there um, to help Glenn and his family out to get through this time. Um, Otherwise, go to the Noob Spiro Facebook page. We've got all the details and links there for you to, uh, to go and help Glenn and his family out. Okay, all that aside, it's time to move on and get into our episode with Sebastian Kramer. So please enjoy, and it's over to Shrek.
1: Today and welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast. Today we are joined by Sebastian Kramer in New Zealand. He's got one hell of an accent. It's part German, part Aussie, part Kiwi. Very puzzling. He's all over the show, but he loves to take the piss out of Australians. So welcome to the show, Sebastian. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, the shy, the <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the How's show, mate. Welcome to the show. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Noobers. Uh, we, we can do them all here. All right, beautiful.
2: Yeah, this might be one of the few episodes, but you need subtitles. But if I speak too fast or you can't understand me at all, I just...
0: It's mainly tell, me that they don't all understand.
2: Right oh, good. We'll just turn
1: the aircon off. So now that the uh, people are used to that bit of background noise, it's good. Oh. <laughs> so, Sebastian, you are a freediving instructor in New Zealand. You guide people. Um, you also, you head overseas quite regularly. You've dived sort of all over the show. Um, just... Give our listeners a bit of an overview about yourself and and how you got started spearfishing.
2: Sure thing. Um, So, you know, ISU introduced me originally not from New Zealand, so I'm I'm a Kiwi, I guess, a German Kiwi, half Kiwi, half German. (laughs) At least I consider myself that way now. (laughs) So, originally from Hamburg in Germany, uh, that's where I grew up. Um, I grew up surf casting mainly, so I did a lot of surf casting, a lot of fishing my whole life and started at a very early age to be... By the water and, and loving the water, um, and then about ten years ago, I moved from New, from yeah from Germany to New Zealand to Wellington to study here. And about nine years ago, I got into uh, spearfishing. So before that, I was more into uh, tank diving. Did a bit of work around the Great Barrier Reef and did my um, sort of my open water tank diver there about fifteen years ago, but. Yeah, since I started freediving, I haven't touched a tank. I have to say. Um, so you studied at Victoria University down there in Wellington. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, did a uh, management degree or what they also call a bullshit degree. It doesn't really teach you. <laughs> doesn't really teach you that anything. That and, that uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Shrek's glowing here. He loves these little Kiwi uh, connections. He hasn't been there in a yeah. hundred years, but studied management yeah. too. So God.
1: we're all over at Sebastian. He's beaming. Like, yeah, you know, I can speak. <laughs> now, from Victoria Germany University it was, and Morgan. it was
2: an interesting experience. And I got my uh, resident, residency in this country, so I've been here for quite a while. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, we went out on a uh, fishing trip in the uh, in the harbour with Pete Lamp. I'm not sure if you remember him, he's I've uh, been a fishing operator in Wellington for quite a while. And whilst I was on the trip, uh, was this guy next to me? He was, you know. Throwing up quite heavily. He had too much to drink the night before and it was rough seas, as it always is in Wellington. And uh, he goes, Ah, oh, you should, you know, b- b- between throwing up, he goes, You should come out and try this thing, spearfishing. I was like, Oh, yeah, that sounds all <laughs> right.
1: You know, <laughs> give
2: me your phone number, we'll stay in touch. And, um, a guy named Fraser. I've taken him out on a couple of um, charters by now, and uh, he, he got me onto it and showed me how to shoot my first butterfish, and uh, from, from then on, I was quite hooked onto it, and um, that's basically how I got into spearfishing. And from, from then on, so nine years ago, I was fortunate enough to travel quite a lot with work and uh, been able to learn from quite a few good people around the world in terms of freediving and spearfishing, and it's really taken off from there
0: so okay. So no spearfishing in Germany?
2: No, they don't like it over there. Eh? They uh, consider it animal cruelty. Um, you're, you're, you're okay to take a big you know, net out there and have them all suffocate on a big fishing boat, but spearing that don't allow, um, which is a real shame. I mean, having said that, even if you were allowed to spearfish, there wouldn't be that much to spear around. Yeah. You probably, you know, I mean, we've bought, got the northern and the eastern sea in Germany, and you probably get Pollock. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Pollock. It's more like a, like a cod, red cod or like a blue cod, yeah. but a more of a greenish color. They don't, they don't grow that big. Um, and then we've got flounder um, and herring. That's probably sort of your main major, you know, three species. So not the most exciting spearfishing there if you were allowed to. Um, having said that, if you go up to Norway and Sweden and stuff, you can get some decent cold water spearfishing. Mm.
1: Okay, cool. All right, so you sort of went over sort of how you got started there in, in Wellington and uh, where your sort of passion and interest comes from. You went on and you did your freediving instructor's um, certificate. And uh, where did you do that and what what made you
2: do that? Yeah, so I did um, my freediving instructor mainly out of the interest of learning more about the physiology, about freediving and learning more what goes on in my body and also just to really kickstart my freediving diving expertise and career, if you will. Um, so I wasn't actually doing it with the idea of teaching at the beginning, I was sh- simply wanted to learn more about the sport and more about what happens to my body and how I can you know, become a better freight diver and spear fisherman. So that, that's what sort of got me into it, and I did it about five, six years ago um, through SSI. Okay. Um, and I had an Australian instructor by the name of Mike Wells. He um, had various records in Australia. Back in the day as well, when um, he came over to New Zealand and taught in Lake Taupo in the middle of winter. But um, <laughs> <laughs> needless to say, for anyone that doesn't know Lake Taupo, it's a very, very deep lake, and it's very cold. And uh, even a five mil you in winter doesn't keep you warm for very long. But um, we did a week um, of teaching there, and um, that's how I got into it. So, and then shortly afterwards, I started uh, my own freediving um, organization to teach freediving. Um, through SSI, mainly level one, and then recently I've also cross graded to and um, because they started a free diving course as well.
1: Okay.
2: And New Zealand, the majority of um, dive dive shops are all Paddy courses, so I sort of align myself more with that these days just to sort of, um, you know, get along with the shops better because they're not allowed to teach SSIs if it's a Paddy shop, for example.
1: Yeah, okay. All right. Mm. So with like Taupo diving um, I mean I've, I've done a little bit of quite a bit of scuba in there and I did a really good dive a drift dive down the Waikato above the Hooker Falls there did, have, have, did, oh, yeah. did you do yeah. some of that as well?
2: I have yeah you see quite a few trout and eels and yeah. all sorts eh? Yeah wicked freshwater diving it is. I mean you probably someone will probably have a heart attack if you take a spear gun in there because they probably all think that you're after New Zealand's trout, which are highly obviously protected. Yeah, yeah, and tasty too. <laughs> From the spear or anyway. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely, yeah. Um, no, Didimo in are... there? know,
2: him. Oh, Didemo. The lovely algae. Yeah. Um, I don't, a I don't bit of think there. they have it up there yet eh? It's mainly around South Island and a couple of other rivers and lakes but they're quite um. Yeah, they definitely want you to spray your bolt on and have a proper wash before you go to the next freshwater lake
1: I like so what Turbo did there Sebastian but just between you and me, I think he's fully Didimo. He's fully Didymo. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh, You'll figure anything. it out. You'll figure <laughs> it out. All right. So we've got a bit, of b- bit more background on you. We're, we're, um, what was your biggest obstacle starting at, and how did you sort of overcome it?
2: Oh, funnily enough, the biggest obstacle that I had was the fear of deep, dark water. So whilst I could see the uh, bottom of the ocean, I was quite comfortable. But once everything sort of dropped off into the black and darkness and I couldn't really – visibility was poor. Um, I really had a uh, big mental hurdle <laughs> – mental issue. No, a <laughs> uh, big hurdle. <laughs> big, I've got a few of them, but no, I had a big, quite a we big do, mental buddy. hurdle to, um, you know, dive deeper because, you know, sort of you know, the darkness really um, – Really scared me, and I don't know, don't actually know what what triggered that. And over the years, obviously, just continuing to dive and, and pushing yourself, um, I got past it at some stage. Um, and obviously, before you ever saw shark as well, there was that shark thing I was always worried about, you know. But now you're going to see the first shark—is it going to eat you? Because you're yeah, really quite influenced by what, what the media shows you and what you've seen in movies. So um, when you're getting into it, for me, sharks and dark water was sort of what my yeah what really quite influenced me at the beginning and the only way i got past that was really by you know repetitive diving and trying to relax as much as possible and um you know looking at statistics and stuff and seeing how likely it would be to see a shark uh, back in the day and that really helped me pass that but that was probably my first sort of yeah <laughs> first issue a eh? darkness and black water and sharks ah,
1: this is a good one, and to be honest, it's a it's a different one. We we've had one guest that sort of talked about something similar that I can remember, but I've I've dived with a guy who's a, you know, quite a renowned diver locally. He he dives very deep, but um, I've dived some sort of darker, colder water with him, and like I noticed, he pulled up a lot earlier than he normally does. So I I, I think it's quite widespread. So it's funny. So you sort of said you looked at statistics and just sort of. Just white <laughs> white knuckled through it,
2: I guess. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, it was the only way to get past it, eh? And I mean, um, you, you slowly go deeper, you know. You, you slowly find out what's actually out there, you know. And then, as as I managed to, you know, get overseas more and diving cleaner water, you become more comfortable with sharks, and shark encounters in general, which obviously like a, no- a normal occurrence if you're doing a lot of blue water hunting or if you're going up further up north in, in New Zealand. Um, and just really getting across some of the fears that aren't really based on anything other than your imagination and, you know, media and movies. So, you know, the, like the best, you know, the best training for freediving or spearfishing is going out there and doing it and continuously doing it. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with the whole scenario.
0: Sebastian, uh, your Skype profile pick is you peering between the bill and the sale <laughs> of a big sailfish. So, uh, this brings us nicely to our next story, our next question, which is, could you give us your most memorable fish story?
2: There's there's quite a few, I have to say. Um, the billfish, and that was my only billfish to date, uh, certainly was one of them. Um, and that happened uh, last year in Tonga. It was uh, not my first billfish encounter, but the first billfish that I've landed. Um, and uh, I was um, <clears throat> organizing a charter to go over to Tonga, and we've um, actually, we lucky enough to land two sailfish on that trip, um, both ranging between, you know, 30 to 37 kilos. And, um, yeah, very, very awesome encounter. We were drifting off a uh, island in a, you know, kingdom of Tonga in really quite crystal clear water and had a flasher going. And uh, not much was happening, actually. We were pretty close to um, moving spots because couldn't see anything. There wasn't really any current or anything. Nothing was happening, and I was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> let's call the boat over, and let's move spots, right? And um, just as I said that, I saw two sailfish coming up from from the deep, checking out the flasher. One comes up, the flasher line, basically two meters. I could have pole speared him. <laughs> he was that close. He came straight up to the flesher came up right up next to me. He was I've got it all on video as well. Um, and he was literally two meters away from me. So when I shot him, um I strung him. So the shaft went straight through him. He took off and he um as he as he took off he actually um you know did a kind of a half circle around the flesher as well. So the flesh I got hooked in it and the flesher and the line and everything I used to break away system completely took off and just disappeared. And I was like, well, I'm not sure if we're going to see this fish again or if I get my float line back or <laughs> anything attached to it. Um, and luckily I did um, I swim after him and he got a bit tangled. Um, his tail got tangled in the shooting line and he was um, <clears throat> swimming on the surface. And um, yeah, I got him back. Funny story that is, on the very first day of that trip, we were on a 10-day charter and um, First day I got there, I shot a sailfish. I lost it, and when the fish came back up on the flasher, there was two of them. As I said earlier, one of them didn't have a hole in it; the other one did. Yeah. So I shot the one with the hole, thinking it was injured. And after I landed it, um, I, I realised that I shot the same fish within 10 days. So on day one, I shot him and lost him, and then on the last day of the trip, I landed him. Yeah. So it was it was quite special, quite a special. Um, it's quite a special fish and story behind it as well. Yeah. I'm glad I landed him because um, the stomach contents—it was very empty. So because I, I shot him the first time through the gills and through the gill plate, but um, they shake their head very, very strongly. So they jump quite a lot and they shake their head. So the—if um, you just have a single barb, that can come out quite easily. So and that's what happened on the first shot. Maybe Jeremy's that, right. Maybe it is a bit cruel this spear fish. <laughs> you don't dispatch them on the first time, eh? At <laughs> sure, first, you don't succeed. Yeah, but that was the story behind the um, yeah, behind the picture that you see there on on the Skype profile. So, which part of Tonga were you in? Were you in Ha'apai. Um, not this time. No, we were off diving off Tongatapu, off the main island. Okay, cool. What? Yeah.
0: A- you got another good fish story for us? I kind of led you into that one, but maybe you've got your ah, own want to share. You've got
2: a few. Um, so I guess uh, the most memorable tropical It's a tropical big blue off Capity.
1: 2.5
2: kilos. Tasted amazing. <laughs> Sorry, Sebastian. You know, I interrupted you there, buddy. Um, now I guess the other uh, sort of the tool, well, the three fish that really stand out was definitely a sailfish, um, a 40-kilo Malabar grouper. Oh wow! Um, which was in Tonga as well. That was a year prior. It was two years ago, and we were part of that. Was, was actually a funny story. I was up. I <clears throat> was Rob Torelli, which was running the Blue Water uh, Blue Water charters out there. Yep. And um, we joined the um, the fishing club in Nuku'alofa, and they had a spearfish uh, like a fishing competition on right for the day. And we approached them and said, "Look, can we a spear fisherman join the competition. And they, obviously, thinking we wouldn't really pull much out of the ocean, they went, (laughs) yeah, sure, join. (laughs) So, you know, basically every fish was a go, and we tried to obviously put as much fish on the boat to to win the competition. And um, we, um, I got a 40 kilo, um, Sam that works for Adreno, he got a 42 or 43 kilo Malabar, short of the world record, it wasn't far off. And we landed about three or four other big fish. But we we whited in about 170 kilos of fish. (laughs) (laughs) And we won the competition. (laughs) Uh, Which... Was this really expensive deep sea fishing reel? And all the spears just looked at it. and Goes. What do you do with it? So, <laughs> I don't know, it looks expensive. <laughs> so we felt a bit. You no, know, we felt a bit cheap as you know, just entering a fishing competition as spears and um, winning it. And since then, spears are banned. So spears. <laughs> no, no, well no, 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 Good contribution. No longer too. welcome to join the spear fishing or the fishing competition in Lofa Fishing Club. But <laughs> we had a good day. <laughs> we had a
0: good day. Spear line fishermen. And, um relations were just severed, eh? It was mm. good.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then I guess the last most memorable fish was when I was in Pai. Um, a friend of mine over there, he um, works in one of the resorts over there and is quite lucky to go out spearfishing quite a bit. And uh, he landed a 51 kilo dog tooth tuna in that week, which I helped him land. And then on the last day... Of my pie trip i shot a dog tooth tuna tuna that was between 80 and 100 kilos wow. it's really hard to tell it was the biggest fish but you know way way bigger than a 51 kilo one and basically it came up from behind me i looked to the left i was just shocked this monster was sitting right next to me <laughs> i had a 1.3 roller gun with a single flopper and clothes were inadequate and the float line wasn't probably strong enough for it either and just yeah i was like well should i shoot it or not I think all spears, every spear probably pulls the trigger, but yeah, you know, I did, and um, yeah, pretty much just wiped most of my gear. I ripped the float line apart and bent the shaft to bits, and uh, unfortunately, we lost it. But um, that was probably the biggest fish that I've ever shot at. Yeah, wow. <laughs> unfortunately, I did, which is a real shame, of course. But I hope um, it was a shoulder shot, so there was a good chance that that size of fish might survive. Yeah, it was oh. a bummer when you lose losing me, but. Um,
1: it happens though, and um, and it's a good point you make, and it's not something we've really talked about a lot as being sort of inadequately geared for. Um, you know, That's right. But it, it does happen, especially when you're in an environment like Tonga, where you've got these huge drop-offs off islands and uh, phenomenal clear water, and the dog tooth kind of sneak up on you. Sometimes you can be on the the edge of an island there, just like in ten meters, and dog tooth come in. That's
2: well, right. we've had marlin come in. We have had marlin sightings over there, and and. and Anything can swim past. That's the reality of it. And one of the big lessons, especially for people that start going over to the tropics and start travelling, is buy decent gear. Because if you don't have it, you're gonna lose fish. You're gonna injure fish. you are likely gonna die. Um, you know. I mean, I'm not. I've made these mistakes. So I just had to learn from it and, and adapt and grow. But you know, I mean, one of the tips, I guess, for people that travel a lot and get into blue water hunting is a find gear that is not too heavy that you can actually take with you, but also to have it like a good float line, a good gun, either with a breakaway system or a double flopper, you know, enough flotation devices, a couple of atmosphere floats. And um, yeah, so that's, that's I, you know, I, I tested out quite a few things and over the years and I really learned that if you shoot a big fish, <laughs> Need the right gear to go with it, and unfortunately, that's not cheap. So,
1: joining us today and supporting the show is SpearedApparel The all new Nova wetsuit requires no lube. That's right. It's got full fleece lining. So if you've got a crappy old wetsuit where you're getting cold the neoprene's just gone and it's got less life in it than Turbo's undies, then it's time to get yourself a brand new Novo wetsuit. I think they come in a 3.5 mil, and you can save 10% by using the code NILBERS at checkout. So if you're confused about that, it's N-O-O-B-E-R-S, speedapparel.com, in checkout. Just pump the code and save yourself 10%.
0: Guys, if you're on the hunt for some new equipment, check out Adreno Spearfishing Supplies at spearfishing.com.au. They have a huge range of gear. They've got great prices. And if you use the code NoobSpiro at checkout, you'll save yourself $20 on all purchases over 200 So check them out at spearfishing.com.au and use the code NoobSpiro at checkout. Sebastian, after those two horrendous stories of big fish getting off, um, could you share with us uh, your your, your favourite
2: hunting technique? Well, my favourite hunting technique is really um, just – it depends what you hunt, right? So obviously if you hunt on the reef and stuff, it's a bit different because uh, hunt, I mean, reef species are a lot more flighty. Um, but uh, my passion really is the blue water hunting. It's it's a bit allergic, so that's where my passion lies. Um, and you got to – really managed to, well, find find this zen moment, right, where, where your whole body is kind of in tune with the ocean, where you're totally relaxed, where you've got a good system going, where you dive down to about 15 or 20 meters on the flasher, or looking at the flashes a few meters away from it, um, scanning scanning the water, uh, scanning around you, left, right, and center, uh, without moving too much, and um, <clears throat> Once you see a big fish coming, whether that's a dog, tools, tuna coming up on the burley or it's a wahoo or a sailfish or a marlin or wherever else, Um, obviously each species has got their own behavioural patterns that you need to adapt to And a great book to read. is probably Terry Masters' Blue Water Hunter who's got a quite in-depth description of how each fish behaviour is. But for me, basically, it's just, you know, you do repetitive dives, you try and get as relaxed as possible. You dive down, you hang in about 15 or 20 metres of water and you simply have a look around and keep scanning. And if you see a big fish coming in, you know, I normally do some grunting noises in the back of my throat um, to entice the fish to come a bit closer. Do you to give us one of those? Most. Yeah, give, give, us, give <laughs> us a grunt. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> something along those lines. You know, uh, a different speed depending on the fish. But um, yeah, and then um, really just making sure you don't swim, swim right at the fish, that you swim parallel to it and um, try and get a good shot off. And also not pulling the trigger if you don't have a good shot, so... So get close, eh? And, um, get close till you till you can see all the color. I mean, if you're taking, I've taken a lot of beginners over there and the first day is basically just spent pulling the trigger on fish and the shaft flies and it comes way short um, because people generally, you've got a different perception of blue water. Fish are way further away than you think and they're normally quite a lot bigger than you think as well. So um, you've got to wait till you see detail on the fish and until you're sure that you've got a good placement shot. Otherwise, you're going to lose them or you lose them to sharks or you're not going to hit them at all. And quite often, you don't get a second chance, unless there's a big school of wahoo or something coming through. Um, big schooling fish are a lot more forgiving. But if you've got a single fish swimming through, that's not going to likely come back if you shoot it and you fall short. So.
1: Cool. All right. Mm. Next section is called the toughest situation. So what's the toughest situation you've been in in the ocean? What was kind of like the scenario? What actions did you take? What happened and um, what would you do differently next time?
2: Well, I've I've had a few ones. I've I've had I've had a diver blackout on me, um, a friend of mine, which happened here in Wellington off Kapiti Island, actually. <clears throat> we were diving, and that was actually in my beginner days. So that was prior to me becoming an instructor, prior to me knowing a lot about shallow water blackout or what to do. Um, and uh, yeah, my my dive buddy dove down, and funnily enough. Nothing about what I heard about, you know, shallow water blackout really applied, basically. He passed out shortly after he left the surface, probably one or two meters down. Um, and, um, yeah, basically even completely limber, had to pull him back up, put him on the float and back on the boat, and make sure that he recovers all right. And he spent quite a bit in hospital, a bit of time in hospital. What ended up happening was that um, he didn't actually blackout through shallow water blackout, but um, he had a very unusual low heart rate. Anyway, so um, you know when the the mammalian dive reflex kicked in, and it halved his heart rate from say fifty to sixty to twenty five or twenty three heartbeats per minute, it was so low that it wasn't enough to supply his system with enough oxygen, and he passed out from having a very low or too low a heart rate. So Uh, um, after fixing up, he has to drink a few Red Bulls or have a few strong coffees before he goes out for a dive. Now, so it's like you know completely. Unrelated to anything else that you normally come across in terms of blue water blackouts or shallow water blackouts or any of that. So, you know, the reverse can be true as well. Your heart rate can actually be so low that your system can't deal with it and then shuts you down. So that was was a scary one, mainly because, yeah.
1: So when he he blacked out, um, you said it was before a lot of the training you've now done. mm -hmm. What sort of stood out at you as being the most difficult thing about that situation?
2: probably knowing how to respond and, and, and what to do. I mean, I've done, in the prior to all this, I had done a first aid course back in the day, but all this doesn't really apply that well to ocean scenarios, right? right. Um, but it was scary to start with seeing him unconscious and floating uh, like under the surface, and obviously you know, I pulled him up by his shoulders fairly quickly, got him back up to the surface, and um, basically called for help from the boat so definitely there was um, the difficulty was like definitely a feeling of helplessness not knowing what was going on and also how to respond um, and then afterwards it was really just quite a worry figuring out what the underlying cause was and what we really learned was that doctors have got no idea <laughs> about free diving or spearfishing related injuries um, mm-hmm. there is really not much science well there's more science behind it now but most doctors simply don't know about it so the scary part of it was really afterwards figuring out what was going on with him um, going to the hospital and me visiting him and, and not having any idea what actually happened and what was going on so and everything that I knew about it didn't really match up with the shallow water blackout because that normally comes on, on the ascent not on the descent so uh,
1: yeah all right, Well, <laughs> let's move into the veterans vault so This is a part of the show where we sort of ask our featured guests to take us deep into an area of their expertise. We were going to talk with you today about um, spearfishing remote locations, and um, we wanted to ask you a few questions about planning and reconnaissance and um, sort of what your process is for for that. And um, I hope you've got some some goodies in there for our listeners. So, yeah, okay. So give us a bit of a background on sort of – where some of the remote locations are you've been to and, and, and what you've learned, I guess.
2: Yeah, so as I said earlier, I'm, I'm very lucky in that my job allows me to travel at least once a year to remote, normally tropical locations. Um, so I work in an IT in IT security, and once a year, uh, the boss sends me off to a, a remote, normally you know Southeast Asian country for a conference, and I can add on a bit of holiday, and that allowed me to do... Spearfish most of Southeast Asia, um, and once once you start planning a trip, um, and it really depends. You know, some people really prefer having an organised, well organised trip um, from you know from the beginning to the end. Um, I, on the other hand, quite like flying to a new location and just figuring things out as you go along. Um, and the difficulty there is obviously that a lot of areas don't have any. Spearfishing charters that don't necessarily know what spearfishing is. Or, or what you find in those areas of so spearfishing is quite common, but it happens at night when the fish sleep, so it's very different from what we do, right? Um, so the difficulty is finding information um, when you go to a new area, especially if it's an area that hasn't been speared before, doesn't have any charter operators, and the way of getting around that is probably. Social media, trying to find dive shops over there and and call them up and see if they allow spearfishing and and what you know what situation is, um, using Google Maps and uh, looking at areas that you're visiting, and just to see what the ocean structure is, whether or not there's a big reef in front of where you are, and finding ways past the reef barrier. Um, and then also obviously looking at legal requirements for um, that country. A lot of countries. Uh, don't allow you to take spearfishing gear into the countries. Um, there's restrictions in others, um, and then you, you obviously got to know whether or not you can take your gear with you to start with. And once you sort of, you know, pick your location where you want to go, and you did a bit of renaissance on the internet, through dive shops, potential social media to see if anyone's been there before, you figure it out that there's a good chance to go for a spearfish, and obviously you got to start planning to get the gear there in the first place, which can be difficult, especially if you only have a 20, twenty, twenty three kilo luggage allowance. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't know if you find you don't know if you find a weight white belt over there or if anyone can you know, borrow you some lead. So <laughs> um, the weight restriction is definitely a hurdle. And then once you get there the, the next hurdle is um, the public Perception of you running around with a spear gun and a wetsuit, especially <laughs> if they're not used to it, you know? Yeah, okay. Um, so that, those are all difficulties in, in organizing trips. And I mean, um, some of the locations I've been to, for example, Sri Lanka. Uh, Sri Lanka, back in the day when I was there, it wasn't illegal to spearfish nowadays. Um, having said that, locals spearfish a lot at nighttime. And you can find locals that have ancient spear guns with car in the tyre tubes as rubbers and they, they make things work but you can't take any gear and you have to find locals and simply go down to the port find some fishermen and have a good chat with them and uh, see if anyone is willing to take you out yeah. um, other lo- yeah, other locations like the Philippines for example I was quite lucky to uh, meet a um, Austrian freediving instructor which took us out spearfishing over there and um difficulties over there that it's a very dangerous place um, you got like most tropical places you got no coast guard you got no fail safe right so if anything goes wrong you're in deep trouble so making sure that you know you're taking as much out of the danger out of it as you can that's obviously easier said than done if you're in the ocean diving off a boat with sharks around it and bolts and that sort of stuff you know
1: so you'd, you'd take a first aid kit with you obviously on a trip like yeah. that what would, yeah, you, take- what, what would you have in there
2: um, take a first aid kit. So definitely, um, have some tourniquets, um, like a makeshift tourniquet that's sort of more, you know, for shark encounters. And if you do get bitten or, or you have a big bleeding wound, you would definitely want to have a tourniquet there to close whatever artery that, you know, that's potentially being punctured. Um, you want to have some band aids and potentially some. I uh, cor- oh, for- oh, don't even know how to pronounce this. Coagulates so something that like coagulates the uh, the blood to make it thicker.
1: Ah, oh, uh, yep, yep, a That's coagulant, a- yep,
2: yep. That's the one. I can't even pronounce that. Oh, good man. <laughs> it's hard with a with a German Kiwi accent. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, taking. Um, also, quite often, <laughs> taking a um, just a uh, like like the aluminium blankets you get. You know, the survival blankets. Oh, yeah. Yep. They can help you out if you get cold in the water and just wrap yourself in that to keep the wind chill and everything else away. Yep. Definitely take plenty of water. So, if a boat, because out there you're relying on really old boats with dodgy engines and everything else to get you where you want to go. Yep. Right. So there's a good chance that the engine doesn't get you back from where you left. So you definitely want to make sure that you bring enough fresh water on the day and potentially enough food but yeah in the medical kit you really just need nothing else but you know a good tourniquet something correlates blood um some some dressings um that's sort of like you know you can't really carry an oxygen bottle or anything around Um, i do that i teach people so they can recover if they have a blackout but in reality if you travel then that's not really that practical Mm.
1: yeah it's partly why i asked the question because i mean You've, there's this compromise, isn't there, when you're travelling? Like it's got to be light and accessible, and y- you know you need some go-to's, but you probably can't pack everything. But I was sort of want. No. I mean I did. There's put, a really the good
2: um, guy online, and I forgot what they call themselves, but he's done a trauma kit specifically for spearfishing. Okay. And he does sell it online. Okay. Um, you may have to research it and put it into the show notes later. Right. Um, I'll, I'll try or and, like do and do that and flick you an email. But he's got a – he developed a trauma kit. Which I think is between 100 and 200 bucks, okay, which basically covers everything that you potentially need in a free diving or spearfishing trauma kit. So right. um, definitely recommend getting one of them for anyone that uh, travels by themselves and spearfishes in remote locations.
1: Cool. And you talked about sort of meeting the locals and dealing with local perceptions. Um, can you give us an example of how you've sort of – um, you know, got in with the locals and managed to get out and do some some diving. What, what sort of, uh, you just polite and use hand signals or how, how do you go about it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean exactly. So, I mean, as you said, hand signals is definitely a big one, and communication is a big one because yeah. once you go to these villages, most of them don't speak English, right? Yeah, I was just—I um, was going to interrupt you. Turbo
1: would be really <laughs> effective at the hand signal part. <laughs> while while we're doing <laughs> interviews, he's hand signalling me all the time. It's never positive, so I don't know how he would get on. Just, just with... cut <laughs> <laughs> And he's get him off the me show. the fingers <laughs> and telling me I'm a wanker <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. So I'm very expressive. Yeah, you'd be effective with that. He's almost <laughs> Italian. He's that
2: expressive so
1: okay so well, as
2: long as you guys understand each other somehow eh? yeah
1: so when you're in Sri Lanka and, and you're dealing with negative perceptions
2: and they don't speak English very much um, what what did you do uh, one good way of placating the public or the locals is always handing fish back to the community after you come out of the water right okay um you were in their waters, uh, there's, especially if you're heading or spearfishing around fishermen and stuff like that, they are quite territorial in the Asian countries around where you're jumping in the water and where they are. So we've had had encounters where we had angry fishermen come up to the boat in the Philippines, for example, and whether or not they were pirates or they're angry fishermen, I don't know to this date. Um, we were anchored up somewhere um, spearfishing and we had a boat come up with two guys, bella Clavas and like a traveling hook, and they pull themselves onto our boat, and they're talking very angry to the uh, Filipino guy that took us out. We we don't know what happened on that day. We don't know if they were angry fishermen, if they were pirates, and they, they kind of got came to some agreement. But you get into situations where you don't necessarily understand what's going on, but you do want to know, you don't know that they're not happy that you're there and that's generally because you're in their territory they're fishing it's their fishing spot and that's where you're hunting quite often you've got fish aggregation devices like fads and stuff like that that someone may have actually placed there so it's their device okay and there might be a local understanding that four or five fishermen can share that but if you are new to the area you might then you know obviously step on someone's toes um and the best way of doing that is obviously being apologetic about what you've done through hand signals and that, you know, you can make that understood. And also if it goes further than just offering some of the fish that you've already caught as a gift and offering. And generally most of the fish that we spare on these trips goes back to the villagers, So none of the fish are wasted um, and generally you pass it back to the villages where – you either got your guide from or where you spearfish close to because, um, A, you can't eat it all, and B, it's, it's the right thing to do. It's their water, and it's just a sign of appreciation to give that fish back to the community and have it shared by everyone.
1: Very practical. Anything else mm-hmm. with um, spearfishing remote locations, Sebastian? You got some
2: uh, – some some any more tips? Well, one big tip is ideally have a good dive buddy that knows you and that looks after you, right? Yeah. The locals quite often, they're happy to sit in a boat and watch you, but they don't know what happens under the water. So whilst there are quite a few people that probably are crazy enough to go out by themselves in remote locations, I wouldn't recommend it. I would always recommend traveling with someone that you trust, someone has got your back and someone that can help you out of a dodgy situation. Also, someone that knows how to behave if there's an incident in the water, like a shallow water blackout or something similar. Um, I personally am not a diver of not, not a fan of diving by myself. It um, makes me really quite nervous. But that's because from the day one, I've always dived with someone else. So, yeah, picking someone to travel with who gets along with you, and uh, not just in terms of spearfishing, but also in, tra- in terms of travel arrangements. And, you know, you have to be very similar in the way you like to organize things because once you travel and you get into these remote locations, you don't get along with someone, <laughs> you're going to have a pretty upset situation. Uh, person one of the two parties pretty quickly. So you pick someone that's pretty easy going or at least along the same line as you. If you like it highly organized, then pick someone that's highly organized. If you're laid back, then pick someone that's laid back, but don't pick someone that's complete opposite to you because otherwise you yeah, might find yourself in a dodgy
1: situation. Yeah. the complete opposite to me, Sebastian. I, what I tend to do is just have half a dozen beers or so, so that yeah, I don't actually good. mind. And, uh, makes you super relaxed. Yeah, and then we're all good. <laughs> i really uh,
0: his Yang ying to my Yang, you know? For <laughs> real. Together. Yeah, uh, Together we're a formidable spearfishing team. We are. We, but, I, you know, I feel there's a bit of bromance going on oh, there. Right? Oh, there's a full-on bromance. I shoot fish, he fillets. That kind of thing.
1: It's just beautiful. There's nothing like, you know, you, you're duck diving, Sebastian, in a remote location and the guy next to you for some reason has got his hands on your hips. I, I don't understand nice, it. It's got to
2: guide you down. Very relaxing. Oh, it's, so. it's way better than someone having pulled down his bottoms and done a like real dodgy pull downstream. It did not oh, tell yeah, you. Oh, yeah, no. The current. I mean, <laughs> we don't really
1: terrible too. You know? <laughs> we do that as well. Um, so, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we mix it up a bit. But uh, yeah, no, cool. Any any other part of guidance there for diving remote
2: locations and travel in general? Uh, really just be safe. Be safe. Um, do if someone seems dodgy over there and they're really just after the money to take you out, you know, just, just be aware that most of these countries you're going to, they're very poor. People want to make a quick back, so make sure that either you know you get recommended to someone you know. Obviously, quite often it's not possible, but you know, just go with your gut feeling. Mm, if it okay. doesn't feel right or you've got a weird feeling with someone going out, then don't. Um, I, I've been lucky in this. I haven't really been in too many dodgy situations, but something actually went wrong, but um, that's because I sort of followed my gut and it probably works for most people. But yeah, just be safe. Learn the learn the laws of the country before you fly there, before you bring your gear. Otherwise, you might lose it at customs, and you might not get it back.
1: We've, um, we've talked to a number of guides in different locations, and that, and uh, it always impre- Like I, I like to be fairly self sufficient and do things on the cheap, but I think hmm, sometimes, <laughs> I think sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's a smarter idea to pay someone with the experience. It's not like they're going to mummy you. But, um, it
2: comes down to time, right? Yeah, it's like exactly. how much time have you got to spend? If you've got five days, then you're better off paying a bit more money and going on a charter. If you've got a month, then, hey, yeah. you might figure it out yourself.
1: Yeah, cool. And, yeah, yeah, all right. Awesome.
0: Hey, guys. Today's Veterans Vault is brought to you by Cheryl Daly. That's right, Isaac's mum. And the reason it's brought to you by Isaac's mum, Cheryl Daly, is because she just bought a copy of what, Shriek?
1: Yeah, 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. She said in her review, this is way better than buying chips from the shop. Yeah, she loves her fush chops that's for sure. But more than that, she loves throwing
0: a feed of fresh fish straight in the chilli bin. So thanks, Mrs. Daly. So if you would like your own copy of 99 tips to get better at spearfishing, where can they find it, Shrek?
1: Go to Amazon.com and get your hands on some actionable information to improve your spearfishing. All right, next next. Let next next change in the
0: show. Change of pace. It's time for the funniest thing that's happened to you on the water. Sebastian, what are you got? You've got a for poo us? story. i sensed uh, it before.
2: It's a bad poo oh, story. Certainly, I've got a lot of stories. I've got a poo story, but most of these stories are probably stories. funny to other people, but they all happened to me. The they weren't that funny yeah. <laughs> to me at the time, but very funny to everyone else. Good. All right, well, I love these ones. Um, so I guess one of the funniest ones was... Um, Four, four. In hindsight, funny uh, was the Philippines. We said we were diving, and we had this weird encounter with these fishermen or pirates. We didn't know what they were, and they weren't quite too impressed with us. They were quite angry, and we sat in the water and we had our guns loaded and we're like, "What's going on here?" And knowing that back in the day when we were there, that the Philippines was a kidnapping capital in the world. So, anyway, <laughs> so that was, that was a bit dodgy. Um, and then shortly after, we kept diving, and um, I was just duck diving down, and then this massive. Explosion occurred It was this massive sound wave Traveling through the water I nearly shat myself But I don't know what I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> What I didn't know Is that it's very common In the Philippines Still to fish with dynamite mm. And um, A boat not too far away From Uber diving Chucked in a stick of dynamite And <laughs> So i tell you what Not fun Rich. At all In hindsight Hilarious Not so fun oh, It <laughs> doesn't that's... sound funny at all no, it sounds scary What's the pressure wave Like underwater Like what does that feel like Um I have to say, it's just uh, the sound is probably what the most thing. Uh, like the sound wave that hits you is pretty deafening. Um, and then the pressure wave wasn't so bad because it was about a, you know, nearly a kilometer away from where we where we dove. But um, yeah, it wasn't pretty. Uh, definitely my ears were ringing for quite a while. And like you do feel it in your body, you feel a shock wave in your body. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we kind of discontinued diving after that and sort of moved spots. But um, wow! Yeah, in hindsight, it was definitely a good story to tell. But yeah, it, on the day, it wasn't it wasn't that funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
1: wouldn't
2: think so. <laughs> yeah. no, as I said, and then on the on the same day, or well, on the, on the same trip, as I said. um there was a pool story, and I know you guys do love a good oh, pool well, story. We we love, we're all about the pool <laughs> <story. It laughs>
1: no spirit pool stories yeah, yeah. plus some other shit. You know,
2: <laughs> obviously, being in the Philippines and, and, and them having pretty interesting food choices over there, and street vendors <laughs> not always <laughs> selling the cleanest food. You know? we
1: yeah. went
2: out for a few beers the night before and, and ate pretty much everything that we shouldn't have eaten, including sort of big pieces of meat and stuff like that. Anyway, my uh, dive buddy wasn't feeling too fresh on the day and threw up a few times before he came out. And the boat, and he had violent diarrhea, and <laughs> unbeknownst to me. Um, anyway, so he, uh, we were diving together, and he was watching me, and we normally watch each other when we dive, and he goes, oh, I'll be back in a bit. I was like, okay, not not telling me what he was on about, and then he swam uh, downstream, <laughs> pulled his pants down, and did his business, and um, swam back to me, and didn't say anything about what he did, and then about <laughs> a couple of minutes later, I was involved in this uh, brown cloud of um, <laughs> Pool that, uh, unbeknownst to me, he dropped <laughs> he <dusted> us <laughs> uh, So you. So, that was a funny one in hindsight. Again, not funny at the moment it happened, it was disgusting, but uh, in hindsight, terrible. very funny on his part. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, definitely, I don't think I'm the only person that happened to either. You know, we're, uh, we're, because you, once you're out there, you've got to be nowhere to go, right? So, it's um, you got to go, you got to go. Otherwise, diving is not much fun for the rest of the day.
0: Who goes diving with violent diarrhea, though?
1: Uh, if we're hey, in a, Southeast a, Asia together it's diving, feet, right? I am going to do <laughs> it to you. I'm going to replicate that story, definitely. And you can hold a lot of shit. You're full of it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, Sebastian, so. that was a great couple of stories. Um, next section of the show is dive back. So, head to toe in Wellington, windy old Wellington. What yep. are you wearing? Uh, you, and you, know when you know so guys. much
2: about New Zealand, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> uh, I've, got, so I've got two different dive bags, one for the tropics and one for Wellington. Okay. In Wellington, you basically always wear a 5 mil suit. I'm sporting a Torelli suit, so shout-out to Torelli. They have been sponsoring with, with some gear over the years, and <clears throat> the Torelli suits work really well. I'm wearing a 5 mil camel suit. Um, from them. That works really, really well. Also, you using uh, the Torelli carbon fins, which uh, work really good. They're really good fins. Um, to probably, you know, have probably brought my kick cycle down by at least one or two kicks from um, normal fins. So, that, that was really, really quite good. Um, got um Kevlar gloves that are also Torelli. Um, they really help with the crayfish and stuff yep. in the Wellington area. Oh, jeepers. as you go
1: through some gloves in Wellington pulling crayfish oh, out.
2: You oh, you do. Yeah, and if you, um, if anyone ever pulled out crayfish without gloves, which I can't recommend, um, you know you need good gloves. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd recommend <laughs> because they it cut to your open. Yeah. Doesn't heal very nicely either. Mm. Um, what else have we got in the bag? Um, socks Torelli. So basically head to toe in terms of neoprene, and rubber. It's all Torelli. Yep, and. Um, I also use a Tirelli gun, a 1.2, 20-mil um, 20 20 mil rubber gun, which is sort of good for everything from, you know, your cod to the occasional kingfish in summer. Yep. Um, and uh, I've got a Tirelli dive knife as well. So basically everything is Tirelli in my bag <laughs> or Wellington. They're just Tirelli, Tirelli, Tirelli. Tirelli, yeah. Well, if you get sponsored and if it's great gear, you know, yeah. why not? And, uh, they do a we've good had, job over there. Um, um, we then had a in few the guests bag, recently with it. Yeah, the tropical bag is quite different. Okay. Um, In the tropical bag, I've got a Hex suit, um, which I've been sporting for about nearly a year now. Um, I've taken that on quite a few tropical trips. Um, For those of you guys that don't know what a Hex suit is, Hex is a new patent-tested sort of technology that hides your electromagnetic signals um, and makes encounters with sea life a bit more relaxed, if you will, um, because they can't really feel electromagnetic signals in the water. It allows you to have some pretty cool encounters with fish, which, um, you know, when I I first started out, you know, I wasn't really 100% convinced that it works for me. And I did take the wetsuit out on, like, multiple tropical trips, and I had some pretty cool encounters that I wouldn't have had in another wetsuit because… The other guys I dove with, they just didn't have anywhere close in encounters with, with species and I did. So definitely believe in their technology. They've got a really good service. Wet shoes are really good. If anything goes wrong, they repair it for you. So the Hex suit, um, Hex gloves and Hex Booty, So it's basically the whole... Integrated sort of system. Yeah, system. Yeah. Um, so shout out to them for, for the suit. Um, it's working really great. Um, then with guns, I've really experimented quite a bit over the years for the tropics. I've gone off big wooden guns. I had a big um, blue water rife, but when you travel a lot, it's very heavy to carry around. Okay. Um, sort of I lo- looked for a long time into sort of lighter options and been trialling a, um, a Royce-Up, which is an inverted uh, roller gun out of Europe, yep. uh, which it definitely packs a punch. Um, that's been working really quite well. It's a one-one-five, very small to travel with, mm-hmm. very yeah. compact gun. Um, and then um, I recently also had a custom-made hatch gun built for me, um, just for the bigger fish, mm-hmm. for the you know tuna and everything sort of past fifty kilo. Yep. Um, Amiro Hat, a, a hatch Amiro, is that it? No. Oh. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, Amiro hatch is uh, one point two. Yes, yep. that's called Amiro. That's right. Okay. and I've got what they call the uh, the rhino Rhino chaser series I think okay that's normally you know rhino big animals big big fish that's a uh, sporting uh, three rubbers uh, eight mil shaft and then I've got it as a double flopper setup and then as a um, as, uh, a sort of breakaway system and then also as a um, it was a detachable head, okay. so two setups there, um, and um, have a thirty-meter float line from from wetty.
1: Yep.
2: Um, uh, with two wetty floats, um, recently added some Rob Allen floats to that, and um, yeah, using the same fins, the same carbon fins in the tropics, they work really well across both cold water and, fr- and the warmer water. Yep. And um, also in the tropics, I use my dive watch. Um, um, Sporting a SONTO D4i. Okay. Uh, personally, one of the most important pieces of kit in my bag because quite often with the visibility in the tropics, you don't know where you're at, you don't know how deep you are, you don't know how long you've been there. So I find a dive watch a very, very good um, tool to make diving safer. Um, okay. So that really helps. And that's basically my dive bag there. And then when I go to the tropics, I also take obviously a lot of Ziploc bags and, and vacuum pack all the fish that I should over there to take it back home.
1: Okay. All
2: right, cool. What's your process for zip-locking um, fish? Do you just fill it up? Um, poor man's, man's zip-lock. So poor man's basically yep. vacuum packing. So you take your zip-lock lock, zip bag, you get a bucket of water, you put your fillets in there, yep. submerge the ziplock back bag in water, push all the air out, yep. you zip it tight, you chuck it in the freezer in the hotel or wherever you stay, and then just before you leave, you try and find a stirrup form box somewhere where you can put all your fish in, you tape it shut, and then you can take it back. Oh, nice. um, New Zealand is pretty forgiving as long as you declare it you can take it back. Awesome.
1: I'm cool. sure
2: if you guys are as lucky, but I think so, eh? Yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, both countries tend to look after their biodiversity. Uh, I think every country's sort of going the same way. Anyway, um, so, but that's an interesting process you follow there, so cool. Guys, if you're looking to improve your freediving and spearfishing, a good set
0: of fins is pretty much mandatory and the best fins going in our opinion are the penetrator fins so get online get on to penetratorfins.com and check out the full range there of composites and carbon fiber fins Composites are tough as nails. They're a fantastic fin, and the carbon fibres are the most reactive fin going. We absolutely love them. Can't kill them either. Had them for years. They're still going strong. And the best thing about this is now we have a code for you guys. So if you pump in Noob Spiro at checkout, you'll save yourself $20 on a set of these great fins. Add to that, we we now can offer you $25 flat rate shipping internationally. That is absolutely fantastic and a full international warranty from penetratorfins.com. So there's no reason not to get in and get yourself one of the most important pieces of spearfishing equipment. That is a good set of carbon or composite blades. So get in there now, check out all the great designs and get yourself a set of penetrator blades.
1: Um, next round is Spiro Q&A This used to be our Fast Five Facts for News But we've Sad to see it, guy We've I'm changed sure. pace oh. a little bit So <laughs> Yeah,
2: I know I do remember the Mexican
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> Was it Mexican, wasn't it? I'd oh. <laughs> oh, see, see him go, you know yeah. Pirate Pete, and Pirate what, Pete. Was the other guy? Oh, what was that other guy? What was he called? Our audio producer He hated it, mate it. He Oh, hated really? It. Yeah. He canned that he- Real quick <laughs> 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 uh, I want to see a renaissance And get him oh, back But you know,
2: no, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> okay, so this is still a, fa- a faster paced round of questions, though, Sebastian's. But, um, sure. who's been the most influential person or people in your spearfishing and why? No, spear, <clears throat> apart from No Spiro Podcast, but you can give us a mention
2: now, of course. Then, you know, from day one, they've been a long no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a good mate of mine that took me sort of under his wing when I first started out by the name of Ben in Wellington. Um, he was. Uh, you know, a long-time Spiro that knew the Wellington area very well, and I sort of bumped into him in the dive shop, and he took me along and showed me some of his spots and techniques and that sort of stuff. Um, not being a Kiwi, not having grown up here, not having spearfished my whole life, when I did start, you know, that was really a great help. Yep. Um, I think when most of us, sort of our generations of ten, fifteen years ago, started spearfishing, there wasn't really that much information around. So he was a really good help. So shout out um, to Ben. Shout out to Ben. Um, then um, I had a guy in the Philippines that um, by the name of Wolfgang Darfet, which is from um, from Europe. Every <laughs> German's got a Wolfgang mentor, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he really helped me as well, getting my depth in and, and taught me some really cool techniques. Cool. And then in terms of the free diving stuff, a shout out to Mike Wells, my free diving instructor. He really turned turned it up for me, at like going down quite deep and being nice and relaxed in the water
1: Awesome.
2: Um, that's probably the sort of biggest three influences not just on spearfishing but on in freediving in general
1: yeah nice alright okay so if you had to start out spearfishing all over again what would yeah. you do differently
2: if I were to start spearfishing from the very beginning I would probably invest in slightly better gear from the get go um most beginners tend to buy a cheap package for 900 bucks or whatever it cost, and try and get everything sorted. Because once we start hobbies, we don't really know if we're in it for a long run or not. Yeah. But yeah, probably buy proper gear. Uh, yep. Buy proper gear from the get-go. That, that's
1: probably the one. Okay, cool. What's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given in
2: spearfishing? Enjoy yourself. A lot of us get really caught up with social media, and someone shot a bigger fish, and. Everything else, and we can get so hung up by trying to beat someone's PB and whatever else, and you're out there to have a good time. So, you know, as as Tar said before on a different podcast, the best spear is the one enjoys themselves the most, and I really believe that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I think I've listened to that. That was on Roman Castro's The Spear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's had some awesome people on his show. So, no, cool. Yeah. All right. And – um one to three pieces of advice that you'd give out to you know a person learning spearfishing.
2: Right, well, um, being in the uh, age of social media that we are, do not pay too much attention to what's happening on social media. Because a, there's a lot of trolls out there, and I'm really getting quite frustrated with it. It's you know spearfishing communities and blocks and stuff. There's still a lot of heckling and stuff going on, and. Watch a video if you're a beginner and someone goes down to thirty meters and you go, Yeah, I wanna do that. Reality is it takes a while to get there, right? So people watch these videos and then they come on a course and they wanna start and they get really disheartened that they didn't make it to thirty meters on the first day. And well, step back. This is gonna take time. So you know, don't don't have too huge expectations of yourselves. Take it slow. You know, and don't don't pay too much what's happening in the social media. So I think it's a big one these days.
1: Okay. Cool. Any, any other sort of short bits of advice you give or do or you want to move
2: on? Uh, no, um, definitely in terms of advice, like um, safety is, is a big one, right? So find a good dive buddy to get along with. Um, make sure that you know, they can be trusted. I mean, when, when you go out, you meet a lot of people that you could dive with and finding someone that you get along with and that looks after you, and, you know, can take a while, that's really important. Um, and also just um, not being afraid of asking questions. Um, I find it quite often when I teach, you know, when, when once the students leave, it's like, look, get in touch, contact me, um, go out for a dive with me. But reality is more people don't. So don't be afraid of, you know, contacting someone that is potentially a bit more advanced so you asking for advice and uh, maybe even asking would be taken for a dive. Don't ask for spot X, but... <laughs> You know, um just just find your own, but you yeah. know, just ask them to take you under under the wing a little bit and, and teach you don't be afraid to ask questions.
1: All right, cool, Sebastian. I'm gonna link up some of your profiles and links. Uh you've got uh you take people out spearfishing in Wellington and you're a freediving instructor. Can you just tell us a little bit about those aspects of your
2: your yep. your work? Yep. Yeah, sure. So um Basically, I've got two businesses: uh, freedivetraining.co.nz, which is uh, the tr- teaching or training organisation where I um, teach people to free dive. Yep. Um, teaching both SSI and Petty level one. Yep. Um, and that you know you can just find most of the information on the website there. Okay. And then the spearfishing charters, uh, probably more important to the wider audience because it doesn't really—it's not restricted to Wellington. Um, so I've been organising charters to Bali, um, to Tonga. Um, around Wellington, around you know the North uh, Coromandel area, okay, and some other locations for quite a while. So, if anyone is ever interested, I'm just interested. touch base. And um, I'm coming over in March. I'm going to look you up. <laughs> <laughs> Come along on a on a fun trip. Yeah, Stock the fridge, buddy.
1: All right, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're on social media as Sebastian
2: Kramer, are you? What What do you got? What do you What do you yeah, most? Yes, so I've active got on? Um, Sebastian Kramer on Facebook. <laughs> um, on Instagram, it's, um, seabass3781. Oh, Turbo's and, adding you. Yeah. On the website is nz and spearfishingcharters.co.nz. Right, cool. And they've both got links to Facebook as well.
1: All right. I'll link the stuff up in the show notes along with some of the other things we discussed today. And, uh, awesome, Sebastian. Um, anything you want to say to our audience, parting comments? Well, get out there, be safe and have fun.
2: That's probably the most important thing. Um, just enjoy what you're doing and be safe
1: man, cool, I've had a ball today Sebastian, thanks for joining us all the way over there from Windy L, Wellington
2: yeah, yeah, it's been windy only 180k last night you know.
1: So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> only takes a call of three or four days to settle down now so hopefully I'll get out on the weekend and get to chase some yellowtails which just appeared so that will be good fun yeah, cool man, Oh, good, thanks for joining us thanks for us. joining us well, continue to good work and uh, thanks for the opportunity of being on the show
0: Thanks for joining us today with Sebastian Kramer. It was an absolute cracker. We love bringing it to you. But our next episode is with Peter Saunders, the president of the USFA the governing body down there in new south wales and it's an absolute cracker as well peter's a great bloke and he's got some great stories i particularly like stories about uh gear and guns and uh and how all that stuff sort of come along over the years so tune in for that one that's coming out in a couple of weeks time thanks for listening thanks for your support from myself and shrek and we hope to see you on the water soon
1: g'day guys thanks for listening today and joining turbo and i in the studio with another great guest now, today's show was proudly brought to you in partnership with spearfishing.com.au. Adreno have also put together a code for listeners of the Noob Sparrow podcast where they can save $20 on all purchases over $200. That's right, punch in the code Noob Sparrow when you buy your next spear gun or wetsuit at spearfishing.com.au and save yourself 20 bucks. It's a no brainer. Shop with our sponsors Adreno at spearfishing.com.au and support the Noob Sparrow podcast. Guys, I just want to bring your
0: attention to the new speared apparel wetsuit. It is called the Novo, and you can find that at spiritapparel.com. And if you use the code NOOBERS at checkout, that's N-O-O-B-E-R-S, at checkout, you'll save yourself 10% on any purchases. So that's really great, and thank you for Spirit Apparel for getting on board. Now, the great thing about the Novo wetsuit is it doesn't require lube. So unlike Shrek's leather chaps on a Friday (laughs) night, no lubes required to get in or out of this wetsuit. So get on board, check them out. They look fantastic. The color's great. Speedofpower.com